It's just the yes, TikTok. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, go down the, the TikTok. Do a Google search for TikTok. Is that what happens yeah. like when we get old and we're going to call it the TikTok? Like my parents will, or like parents of, you know, my friends call Facebook the Facebook, you know? I think so. That's when you know you're old. I mean, I'm going to call it the TikTok until Justin Timberlake tells me to drop it. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to Justin. What Justin says goes. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Woohoo! Welcome back to The John Chi Show. I just took that from you guys because you were like, I don't know. Jesus, that okay. was good. Okay. Welcome back to the John Cheese Show. <laughs> I am Nathan and I'm starting over because I lost my train of thought. I am here with KJ and Patrick. Say hi. Hi. Annyeong. Annyeonghaseyo. Good, good. We are the John Cheese Show and uh, we are a podcast with three Korean American adoptees. What does John Chi mean, Patrick? John Chi means, well, the definition that we tend to go with is celebration or feast uh, with many people. In this case, three. Um, but essentially, um, we four, come together. Sir. Oh, yeah, four. Sorry, Jerry. Uh, so, <laughs> what? No, wait. I was talking about. Oh, wait. You're talking about Diana. <laughs> Anyways. I mean, she's um, not here now, but she's about to be here. That is true. <laughs> He's um, waiting in the green room. Yes. All right. He's waiting. Five of us. Patiently. The air conditioning is on. They're the like, AC is on. I can hear it. There are I snacks can feel it. in the room. She's waiting they for the are. green light. And we are going to come together and feast on those snacks because that is what John G means to us, the people. Eating together and celebrating our identities and the journey that we're on to discover and uncover and reclaim those identities. Period. Send. The email has been written. So we banter, we interview, and we eat. That's pretty much cool. It. All right, yeah, great talk, everyone. Yeah, uh, good job. We'll Break. see you next week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was the best intro we've ever it's like, done. You just done a, a three minute intro, and that's it. That's the whole show. <laughs> yep, that's the whole show. KJ, tell us, tell the people what we, uh, who we're talking to today, and what we talk about. So today we have the incredible pleasure of speaking with Diana Albrecht, who is joining us um, for the end of Pride Month. Uh, but specifically to talk about her story as an adoptee, as a member of the queer community, and how wrestling with the intersections of those two identities has helped define and make who she is today. It's a really, really fantastic interview, and we're super grateful for her for reaching out and saying, hey, um, I heard that y'all wanted to help make a safe space, and you needed someone to help you do that, and so I'm willing to help you do that. So we are Uh, Very grateful for her stepping in and helping us um, learn more about the intersection of um, adoptees' identities and queer identities, because uh, the three of us don't identify as queer at all. So yeah, but we know that the importance of allyship is large. I feel like I'm talking bad today. My my talking is subpar, and I question again why I have a podcast. Oh, no, not at all. However, this is your last podcast in old Missouri. Oh, dip. That is accurate. Although, this is not the last time that you will hear me in Missouri. But this is... This is the last episode you will be recording. In real time, not in podcast time. Yes. The next time will be in Texas. 
Well, the next good time luck with the move. we have like the whole next month, it'll be all stuff that I recorded in Missouri. Is this good podcasting material? Sure. That's people people need like, to know. This is, well, this is what we're talking about. Transparency. You're losing me. Everyone well, I was wants to know. about the timeline of you. This well, being... so the, the timeline is that right now <laughs> we're recording on June 16th mm-hmm. and you'll hear this on June 23rd which is the day, like, uh, I will literally be in the car heading to Dallas. But yeah. then the next month's worth of content will all have been things that we've recorded previously. So it'll sure. all be uh, that stuff. It'll still be KJ sense. in Missouri. That know. makes sense. So yeah. for anyone looking at that confusing timeline, you should just ignore it because most of the movies out there have time travel and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, just it's watch Loki. It's all good. Just ignore it and just accept <laughs> it. Just watch Loki, <laughs> which I'm almost positive they're using to set up uh, where none of the MCU movies have to be pertain- contained to one universe. Uh, but we can get into that on Nerding Out with Patrick and whoever else wants to nerd Welcome out. Welcome to the John Chi multiverse. Yep. So anyways, uh, if confusing timelines aren't your thing, that is unfortunate because we do get into some timeline discussion when our interview with Diana, um, but it's really helpful and she does such a great job uh, sharing her story and we're really Really grateful for her. So let's roll the tape right now. We, we are back with the John Chi Show. We have a wonderful interview today. Please welcome Diana Albrecht. Diana, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks so many people me. crashed because they're clapping. Yes. Hooray. I think that's my new <laughs> I mean, thing. I'm sorry. I think that's my new no. thing is I'm going to say, please welcome so I can have, so everyone can be excited. A way to yeah. hype the crowd. Technically, never really clapped on our show. I, you know, should add like we a clap track. I don't you want to do a clap? Track? Yeah, a little clap Ooh. track. We never actually added that or had any clapping. Well, I don't think we will. Well, Diana, thank you so much for joining us. Um, to kick it off the way we do all of our interviews, um, share as much or as little as you want about your adoption story. All right, the adoptee basics. Uh, I was adopted from Seoul at the age of five months. Apparently, I used to tell people that I w- was born in an airplane. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, just like the things you say as a kid when you're an adoptee, you just like don't understand, you know, what actually happened. Oh, that happened. was back then. That wasn't like a recent, you know. Oh. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> I still tell people I was born in yeah. an airplane. Um, uh, let's see. My dad is also a Korean adoptee, which is, which is truly wild when I, when I tell other adoptees that my dad's also a Korean adoptee. Um, and my brother is also an adoptee. He was a local, um, adoption though, but he is, uh, biracial. Um, so another stupid thing I said when I was younger is that (laughs) my brother, my dad and I all, uh, were unwanted children and now we have we're a wanted family together <laughs> wow that's equal parts tragic and cute <laughs> you know just uh making comedy off my trauma i thought it was funny and then my mom like she got pretty mad at me for like repeatedly saying that and told me <laughs> i wasn't allowed okay, to say that anymore <laughs> talk a little bit about i mean that's an interesting family dynamic uh and i know mm-hmm. that you i think you've shared it before at least i've uh, been privy to it but i was wondering if you share just a little bit about that dynamic especially from this adoptee standpoint um and as growing up growing up in minneapolis where technically there are many many korean adoptees yeah we're the land of ten thousand cats apparently <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know i think like the the initiative or sentiment that the adoption agency had was, you know, placing Asian children in Asian identifying families, like, 
in theory, that sounded great. Um, but I think what was lacking was an actual like cultural understanding and like respect, frankly, um, that my dad just didn't get because my grandparents are very well intending German white Christian folks. Um, and you know, I just, I don't think that I necessarily gained anything in the way that like people might assume that, Oh, like you have, you know, a dad that looks like you. That's so awesome. Like you, you know, you don't have to deal with like identity issues because you have family that looks like you. And like, that's, that wasn't the case. And I think any, you know, conversation that we may have had about all three of our Asian identities were just, I don't know. We made our Asian identities kind of like the butt of every single joke that we may have said. And that was like, the extent of our conversations. Right. Um, so like, I can't necessarily like, you know, blame my parents for be mad at them now. Cause they just like truly just didn't know. Um, but I don't think that our, our household was necessarily like Asian, like our Asianness was like a safe place in my household. Do you ever joke that your mom was adopted? <laughs> no, my mom would joke. She's like, she would, she would play, you know, whatever. She would just play the card. She's like, I wish I was adopted or something, you know, or she, would, you know, she would just make family. comments because she is a white woman, yeah. you know, like, like I have to worry about like sunburn and you three don't like, you know, shitty comments like that were just like, my oh, skin okay, currently that's... begs to differ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so she always felt like she was the odd one out in our family as, you know, a white woman, which is very interesting, but I just don't think that she realizes that what made her stand out from the rest of us is what all three of us, or at least what I don't want to talk on behalf of my brother and my dad, but at least what I just disliked about myself when I was younger. So as you're growing up in this dynamic and growing up in Minneapolis, did you, were you able to outside of your family, like find any, uh, influence from culture or anything like that, able to connect in any way growing up? Or was that something that you didn't start exploring until later? Until like three years ago, two and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, you know, there were a few other Asian adoptees in like a, my elementary school that I went to, um, there's specifically like two sisters from China. And, um, so I was friends with the girl in ninth grade and they had hosted a kind of, um, a student teacher from China. Um, so I just, I, I remember like going over to their house and having, um, I think her, she went by happy was her name, having like happy teach us like how to, how to make like Chinese dumplings, right. Like properly. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, as much as my mom, you know, you know, tried making like japchae at home or like other things like that, it's just, it wasn't the same. And I don't think I had the, the outlets of, of seeing other, you know, Asian adults or Asian people that looked like me, um, in my childhood. So when was that first time that you did start, you said two to three years ago, but like going, moving mm -hmm. through your childhood and progressing out past that stage, when was the first time that you started to maybe either identify as Asian or start to engage within that community? Yeah. So I pre-pandemic, um, so I'm an art director professionally and pre-pandemic, -pre um, I was traveling to New York City every month to do photo shoots and 
I don't know, people want to like say that Minneapolis is not a very diverse city and like it's not, but it is if you like try hard enough to put yourself in diverse spaces and in circles. Um, but I think what struck me about New York is that like, you know, I stayed, the hotel I stayed at is in Soho, which is right next to Chinatown. And just like seeing so many Asian bodies walking down the street, just like living their life and like kids to like old people and, you know, everyone in between, that was really eye opening for me. And I ended up going to kind of like a chill party barbecue in Bushwick, um, a photo assistant had invited me. She immigrated from China a few years ago or like for college. Um, so she's been, you know, in the States for, you know, probably like five years and she had Asian friends. And (laughs) that to me was something I just, I like never really had is a group of Asian friends. And I, I remember at this party, the host of the party was this woman named Sally and her partner at the time. And Sally's Vietnamese and her partner's white and all the white people were on one side of the, uh, you know, the backyard like of Bushwick, dance, not very large. Ethnically divided, not gender divided. <laughs> exactly, right. exactly. There was plenty room for Jesus in, at this Bushwick barbecue. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but all the Asian people were on one side and all the white people were on the other side. And I just remember, like, if I were home here in Minneapolis, I would feel so uncomfortable and I would just want to <laughs> run over to, like, the Asian people whereas here in New York when there were like cool Asians and not just like nerdy or dorky Asians it's like okay like I can I can maybe do this um and one of the people in that group Jeffrey he's in my book he's become one of my dearest dearest friends he's a Korean adoptee so I think in meeting Jeffrey and having conversations with him that really set the tone for all right let's I guess do this so Perfect segue. Um, meeting Jeffrey and learning a little more about his story, and I would guess resonating with what he was saying and the, the the experiences you were sharing was that the impetus for placed and was is placed something that was kind of beginning steps, um, or was that like after you'd had more conversations? No, placed was like beginning steps. And I think what was, what is interesting or, well, one of the many things that are interesting about placed is that like, it took me like 22 months to do the whole thing. Right. So there's 11 written profiles, one, including my own, but the, you know, the interviews are spaced out between like, I don't know, 15 months, maybe. So well over a year. And like the order in which the stories are laid out in the book are pretty much chronological order to when I interviewed these people. And so Jeffrey was my first interviewee for placed and just the way he, he was able to articulate some of his Korean adoptee experiences, but then also be like kind of a little jaded and maybe just a little cautious of the whole thing. Um, and he's also queer too. So I yet to meet like another queer Korean adoptee, Um, just like hearing, and he's a little bit older than I am too. Right. So just, he just was like my wise, I call him my, uh, adoptee trauma fairy godmother. Uh, so he's kind of like, you know, held my hand throughout this whole process, but I just, up until that point, I literally never had another conversation with a Korean adoptee and especially someone who was, uh, who was a little bit further down the road in their like identity journey, if you will. Um, so that just like really opened my eyes to, okay, like, I guess there are stories 
hear and people want to tell their stories. So I think that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the most. And I think that's something you say at the top of the book is that these stories are pretty much laid out chronologically and you, we get to go on your journey with you in terms of the writing style and like, and like how you're processing these things. What was something once you got to the end, once you were wrapping up the 22 month journey to get from that first conversations to like publication, um, what was the biggest thing that you took from that uh, for yourself personally out of all these other people's stories that you're able to share and, and be a part of? I mean, I could like take this in so many different like avenues, right? <laughs> like I learned, I learned a lot. Uh, but I think the biggest surprise for me at the end was for whatever reason, I placed this really high expectation on myself that at the end of this project, I would have my shit figured out, right? And I did not give myself as much grace and kindness and love as I gave the rest of the project participants. And I think because of that, when I, you know, didn't come out of, you know, the, the three-day, uh, like, opening event weekend feeling, like, on top of the world, like, I, I was actually, like, fell into a depressive state for a few weeks because I'd placed so much um, pressure on myself at the end of it. Right. And I don't know, that's, I think that's just part of being an adoptees or at least the adoptees that I've talked to and what I've like settled on for right now is that like, there's just going to be this flux and sometimes I'm going to be confused and sometimes I'm going to have answers and sometimes I'm going to want to be super involved in the Korean adoptee community. And other times I just want to, you know, pause off, let me just live my life, you know, um, so that was like the biggest kind of surprise for me at the at the end of the project. How did you go through the selection of the 22 participants in the, in the book? Uh, so there's 10 participants plus me. So 11. Um, okay, 10, 11. Some of the people, most of the local people I found on like Facebook and like through adoptee groups just because I literally didn't know any adoptees prior to this and Jeffrey, I guess. Um, some of the like out of state folks there's a few folks from New York and one who lives in LA um I met them through connections of Jeffrey um and like you know just random local connections so I didn't really have a personal tie with anybody except for Jeffrey oh, okay and was the um when was the timeline of the book created um I started at the like January 1, 2019, basically. Um, And then was supposed to launch like March, 2020, but uh, something, something else happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then we actually launched uh, end of September of 2020. Right. So Diana, we've talked a little bit about your book placed and we've talked obviously about your relationship with Jeffrey and uh, you were really gracious. Actually, I don't know the full backstory, but you filled out on our guest forum. Hey, uh, it's June and y'all had said that you would like to interview an adoptee about like kind of their queerness. Yeah. Is that the right job. way to say that? <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> anyways, so, and you were just like, yeah, we should, we should talk about that. That's a, a story that needs to be heard. So um, I'm interested. One of the things that I have thought about in my own process of reckoning with myself as an adoptee and, um, and this journey of, you know, coming out of the fog is it like in the language, but also for me experientially and what I can imagine feels like a sort of coming out journey. Um, and I'm curious, 
uh, without really, I mean, unless you want to, but uh, what is, do you see any parallels between your experience coming out sexually and coming out as an adoptee or are those like very separate things or I don't know, like what's the, oh, this is, yes, I, this is like the whole like thesis of like things that have been <laughs> bubbling in okay, my brain. You said thesis a couple of times and that's really not <laughs> how we roll as a John Chiso. So if you could just dumb it down. that would be like, Okay. I may need to do like a queer dictionary <laughs> for y'all. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you implying that three straight cisgendered men don't know how to talk about queer people? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I very much appreciate Not it. At all. Please educate. No, me. I yeah. I was telling Patrick like I've never like talked out loud really about these like thoughts that I've had and like t- Jeffrey and I touched on it when I saw him a few weeks in New York. Um but like you know, this, these thoughts are based off my experience as a cis queer Korean adoptee. And like, I do not claim any sort of like expertise and like queer world or like adoptee stuff either. Like I say, I'm a like gay be like a, a gay baby. And like, maybe in my like a, adoptee life, I'm toddler but like in my terrible twos you know (laughs) so like I'm still just like constant temper tantrums you know but my temper tantrums are like existential like mind fucks and like deep conversations with myself you know Uh, wait that's your temper tantrum (laughs) yeah you know it's like yeah I just get real dark and intellectual with myself I don't I was like slamming doors flipping tables I just get real emo you know just resort back to my emo days (laughs) the early 2000s were deep (laughs) honestly I think 2003 was the best year of music for like emo and pop punk stuff so you can just I like that we can that can be a whole segment another segment we'll get into it later yeah, yeah, exactly. Some more. <laughs> we'll need some more music uh, professionals for that one. Uh, yeah, but to your to your question, um, I think there are a lot of like parallels between like the maybe oppression or repression of like my adoptee and queer identities, and I'm just now realizing that the, a lot of this, you know, the systems and factors in play just contributed to like me not identifying as a Korean or an Asian person and then me not necessarily realizing I was queer up until like very recently right and so I think like we you know we live in a world that like glorifies whiteness and straightness right and anything that's like the, the norm or expectation and I don't know there's like this term that likes to get thrown around on like TikTok a lot these days <laughs> um, I just get all my information from TikTok or my girlfriend's TikTok. TikTok. Not actually, because I don't have a TikTok. She just sends me things, right? Um, there's this term called compulsory heterosexuality. And in, an, in like a heteronormative culture that we live in, it, it assumes that like straightness is the default, the norm, or it's what's expected. Um, whereas, you know, the, the feminists and the critics like argue that like heterosexuality is like more of like a political institution that oppresses women, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think basically it's like because straightness or heterosexuality is the expected and the norm, we're, we're, we're taught to be straight essentially, right? Or like my parents didn't, you know, put me in environments where like queerness or like same-sex couples were necessarily celebrated, 
right? And, and, and I don't know, like, there was a never a moment to like challenge the, these identities, because I didn't know anything else. Whereas I thought like, whiteness and straightness was the expectation. And I assimilated into the white straight environments that we all like grew up in, you know, and like in talking with a lot of the participants for placed, you know, a lot of those folks talk about like, you know, maybe we performed whiteness because we didn't know any better or because we didn't have the, the grownups or the, you know, role models in our life um, that could, you know, we didn't have Asian role models or grownups in our life that could teach us any of these things. And I think that's similar to like, like queerness and like adoptee stuff, right? Like other than my dad, like I didn't grow up seeing any Asian adults. And my dad is like <laughs> a straight white or sorry, he's a straight cis man. And obviously I am not that. So like if I don't see, you know, if I don't see myself in older Asian folks, older Korean adoptees, I don't necessarily see a future for myself. And Jay Hoon in my book, they talk about this, like they didn't expect themselves to like live past 40. And it was wasn't like a suicidal thing. Um, they are non-binary, and they said the only like examples of like Asian femininity was like Lucy Liu in uh, Charlie's Angels, right? And she didn't fit that mold. And it's kind of like it's similar for like queer folks too, because we we lost an entire generation of people due to like you know the inaction of the government for the AIDS crisis due to suicide or murder or like whatever right and like we don't have like histories or legacies of like queer people to to look up to and we don't have that as adoptees either because what the Korean War ended in 53 so like what is the oldest that a Korean adoptee could be you know my dad's 58 and he's the oldest adoptee that I know right I mean, I think that's something that we've talked about on the show and something that I really discovered as I dove into kind of the history of adoption is, you know, they're the first and second generations of Korean adoptees or really any adoptee from any Asian or other country um, that comes to America. You know, they are almost burdened with having to retell or share that experience in the future. But those first people don't know that that's what they need to do. Because like you said, there's no role model or there's no person to look to prior. So we are now, I think where we are at is a really fortunate position to be able to have seen some people do stuff and write stuff and talk about stuff. And for us to be able to do that, like, the laying, the laying of the foundation, um, I think that every person needs uh, in order to move forward or to be able to understand themselves and reckon with their identity. You know, we are in the midst of that right now. Um, and I think that's, it's such a short history. It's such a, there's not much to go on. So it's not like we have, you know, decades on decades of things to take in. And I think something that I think that's something that's interesting uh, in your position specifically at the intersection of all these different things is that you've going through these journeys of like understanding your queer identity, understanding your Asian identity, and then understanding your identity as an adoptee all kind of at the same time. Um, you talked about after placed kind of stepping away and going into a little bit of a depressive state just because it didn't necessarily, you didn't necessarily get what you thought was going to come of that. Um, what has the, what has it been like to go through all of these things kind of at the same time? 
are you moving between each to like work on one thing at a time or is it like drinking out of the fire hose everything else? <laughs> I mean, I, I take it as it, as it comes, right? So, like, last night I went to a bar in Minneapolis with my friend Micah, who is a Chinese adoptee. They are non-binary. Um, and they're like, hey, I've got a bunch of gay Asians <laughs> for us to hang out with. And I just – my mind was blown because I didn't think that we existed, you know? Right. And I just – I walk into their friend's house um, before I went to the bar – and uh, they're not adoptees, but, like, they were making Spam Musubi for, like, the protesters uh, in Uptown right now. And I, I just don't think I've ever really walked into a house where cool Asian people were just making Musubi. And, like, you know, it's like the intersection of, like, social justice and activism and, like, cooking and, like, Asian-ness. And <laughs> I was like, this is so cool, you know? <laughs> um, but it was funny. Like, we took, like, a an Asian photo last night. And like, I just thought that was so funny and interesting. Like you could see the rest of the bar, like turn around and smile in and like, a, like this is really awesome that like y'all are here and like y'all have a community type of thing. Um, and it's just not, nothing that I've literally ever experienced before. It was pretty cool. Um, okay. So I'm curious, Diana, I just wanted to get like a timeline again. You don't have to go into detail that you don't want to, but, um, it sounded like from something that you said earlier that your queer identity was fairly new. Is that accurate? Or have you? Yes and no. <laughs> um, yeah. If you want a timeline. So um, I remember it was like maybe 2016 or 17. I was living in the apartment that I live in now, but I was living with my then boyfriend and I was doing a collaboration um, with two other like Minneapolis creatives, essentially. Um, one was like a, proper like fine artist another is a local journalist named Jana Shortall who's gotten like uh, national recognition for um her appearance essentially um for context she like cut her hair short like I don't know like however many years ago and wears like cool thick glasses and like her wardrobe is more masculine presenting um and you know so she's got national recognition for like being herself but like Jana was in my apartment um, we were doing, you know, taking photos for this art collab and I had just, I had never been in the presence of like a very outwardly and proud queer woman before. And all my friends know, and my girlfriend knows too, like I have a crush on her, but I think it's because like, she was like the first example of like me seeing an out woman and like her just being cool you know, and her being yeah. respected and her, you know, being like a pioneer and like a trailblazer in her industry. And I literally, I never even seen that ever. Um, and so like, since then, I, you know, since that happened, I was like, you know, I just have a little, I have a little girl crush on, on Jana, but I didn't really do anything about it because, um, I don't know. I think at that time too, like maybe like fast forward to like 2017, 2018, you know, like Korean culture was like getting quote unquote cool, you know, K-pop and Korean fusion cooking and all these things. And I just, I don't want to say I got annoyed with all like the cute white girls being really into like K-pop and like Korean food. But I think I was just like a little bit jealous because they were allowed to like a culture that I didn't think I was allowed to like because it was yeah. dorky. Um, so I didn't want to like tap into like 
you know, this queer identity because I had only dated men and before. And in my mind, I was like, I'm appropriating like queer culture by being like a quote unquote straight girl, you know, experimenting with other, you know, women or non-binary huh. folks. And interesting, like, cause I knew what it was like for my culture to be disrespected and I didn't want it to be like a Katy Perry, I kissed a girl because it's fun. And then like, peace out, bye, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's exact. That's literally why I didn't do anything about it for like years after that. So you, I guess, um, had that, that first mirror, um, and that first moment, right. Of seeing just like a queer woman who is proud of her identity and her identity being a Mm non-issue essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're just like, yeah, this is fantastic. So that was 2016. And then, um, when did you start, uh, I guess like come like, how much later, I guess, did you come out and just be like, yeah, I'm queer, I'm here, this is who I am? Like, when did that language enter into your vocabulary? I don't think it was like a, you know, light bulb moment, light bulb, like, coming out moment, like, you know, <laughs> It wasn't like a single moment of conversion. Like, Hello, I, world! Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't think it was that. It was, it was me uh, putting myself in more diverse spaces and, like, traveling to cities and countries that queerness was very normalized and then let's see it probably started actually I would go I would like change my like tinder bumble or hinge or whatever to like everybody Mm. but then I got really scared because I didn't see I think queer date I mean dating apps in general are terrible (laughs) right but like (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah like KJ's been married since he was like five (laughs) yeah when I the last time I had to date someone I was in high school and the year was 2000 and oh wow so I don't know what dating is like so you got Facebook and you immediately were in a relationship you didn't even have time to be your status has always been the same basically yeah yeah how long did it take for y'all to change your Facebook status to like in a relationship like officially uh probably not long because I think I told uh my now wife that I loved her like a month and she was like uh And I was like, I do. And I was just like, no, you, you beat know. me. I was gonna say mine's three months. I think. Wow. I yeah. See. I don't know, Sarah. Sarah can. Le- me. In lesbian world, we call that U-hauling. U-hauling. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, it's like a, a stereotype that like lesbian or queer women just like fall in love real fast and they like say I love you and like move in together within like I am familiar two with days of dating. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, I am also familiar with it. I feel like I've U-hauled before. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was not a big Facebook person. I got rid of it for a long time, so I didn't worry about the status stuff. But I don't even think I'm in a relationship right now, and I'm being married in two months. So <laughs> on there, so I don't know. Yeah, wow. I don't think I think I'm off of that. So I have a, a question, kind of a follow up with what uh, KJ has been asking. Um, uh, your coming out was roughly somewhere around a year and a half ago, but has been ongoing for since you said 2016. Um, your Korean adoptee uh, moments where you've been researching that more was was been about what three years or so. It's twenty nineteen, um, like three. I mean, it is two. three years ago. Yeah, yeah. two years. Yeah, two. Yeah. yeah. Two so ago. I started placed like very beginning of twenty nineteen, and I think I was like, all right, I'm actually going to like start going on dates with women or like AFAB, which is assigned female at birth people like at the Mm. end of 2019 and then pandemic hit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just curious, like 
where does your so now you know you've got your your queer identity how do you identify now as asian or like are you like i don't know by saying like asian american or um ethnically korean are you like yeah i'm cool with that like where are you at with those identities i mean i say i'm a korean adoptee i think it depends on like what space i'm in like if i'm in a space where i feel like people are cool and they're gonna respect you know story time uh i'll say i'm a korean adoptee (laughs) Um, and when like my Lyft or Uber driver asks me where I'm from and I say, uh, like I'm from here, I'm from St. Paul. Um, they're like, but no, where are you really from? I like, I'll, I'll just say like, I'm from Korea, you know? Um, yeah, I have no like qualms with like saying like to me, I don't know. It's all semantics, right? You like Korean, Korean, American, Asian, Asian American. Um, I know like labels like that are very important to some people. Um, but it is interesting how I, you know, I can flex and call, you know, assign those labels to myself, just depending on what environment I'm in. Um, yeah. Has the discovery of your, of the coming out of the fog of the, um, Korean adoption helped with the, um, also your queer identity? Yeah, I think so. Or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Or vice versa. Um, I mean, for Jeffrey, he said he had to figure out his queerness before he figured out his Asian-ness. And for me, it was, I had to figure out my Asian-ness before I figured out my queerness. I think just because it's a lot more, my Asian-ness is a lot more visible. And maybe that's just like some internalized like homophobia that I have about myself is that like, I, I pass as like a straight girl, right? Like, I wouldn't say I'm like hyper feminine or hyper femme, but like I pass as a sh- straight woman. And so I could hide that part of myself for like a really long time. Whereas I can't really hide that I'm Asian, you know, as much as I probably right. wanted to for however long. That's why I bleached my but hair. But you could hide that you were a Korean adoptee. I could. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, similar for me. Like if people, especially kids, because kids are just known to stare anytime <laughs> they see something that's different. <laughs> anytime a kid would stare at me, I would assume it was because of my hand, not because I was Asian, mm-hmm. you know? And so like for me, uh, essentially, and I think for a lot of um, East Asians, you know, we were essentially white presenting until 2020, mm-hmm. you know, and so for me, like, so I don't know that it was, I mean, not necessarily an internalized homophobia or anything. I think it was just like, if you can pass as the quote unquote norm, um, you know, whether it's compulsory heterosexuality or compulsory whiteness or whatever, then you're just like, well, that's a non-issue. Let's get to the other part of our identity that seems to break the norm because that is going to get thrown in our faces more often, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it just, it is what it is. But yeah, it was, I was curious about like, because for me, um, wrestling with Asian-ness has been helped by some of the earlier wrestling that I've done with being disabled and then accepting myself and, um, using the language of Asian American or Korean American or whatever has then also helped to accept myself as disabled American or just a disabled person and part of that community, you know? So I think that like it is semantic, but I think that the language that we choose to use often reflects how we see Mm -hmm. ourselves, you know, in a way that is really powerful and not always captured by a mirror or a photo or things like that. Yeah. So I was just, just curious about what that journey has been like, um, yeah, and so so we're recording this in June, which is Pride Month. Um, happy Pride. <laughs> happy Pride. Yeah, happy Pride. I was like, <laughs> we were trying to write copy for Pride Month because we were like, oh, shoot, we have a brand now and we should like make this a safe space and have a lot of, and I was like, I have no experience <laughs> talking about this. Uh, so I don't even know, like, what do you say? But what has Pride Month meant to you or what does it mean to you as a queer 
and Asian and adopted woman. Oh my God. It's like, it's like I, you know, have hit my second puberty and everything is finally aligning and I'm just ready to live my best <laughs> life. I love that you are at all times a baby, a toddler, <laughs> and you've also entered second puberty. It's like, here I am, world. Let's I'm do this. I'm a complicated this. gal sometimes, you know? Hell yeah. Um, no, like I, it's interesting when I think back, like the most safe and comfortable spaces that I've been in that weren't Asian spaces were like queer spaces. This is before like I've come out, blah, blah, blah. And like that all makes sense now. So like when I would go to pride parties before, I'd be like, hey, this is fun. I'm just here to support my friends and be a respectful ally. Um, but like this, because obviously pride didn't happen in the same capacity last year. This is like my first you know, pride, like yeah, pride yeah. in like all, claiming all of my identities. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm really, really excited that I have queer Asian friends to see at some of these pride parties. Like I was talk- telling, talking to my girlfriend, she is white. Um, I love her. She's white. Um, but you know, I was texting her. I was like, Oh yeah. So I met, I met a bunch of, you know, queer Asians. And like, they said that we could come to their pride party. And like, this is really exciting because there's like people <laughs> like me and she's, you know, she's the most like encouraging and supportive. She's like, babe, I'm so happy that you like met people that you can connect with, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. She's been out for a while. So she's kind of like, she, She's like, I hate, you know, the commercialization of Pride, blah, blah, blah. She's like, but if you're excited to go to these parties, like, I'll go with you. (laughs) I think that commercialization is really a topic at the front of everyone's mind right now, just because not only is everything a lot more heightened just because of, like, the rise in violence against Asians over the during the pandemic, or not even just because of, like, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, but, like, seeing all of these flaws be brought up of our country be brought up to the surface it's now makes it seem like you have to perform and like like kj was just saying you know we're trying to think of what to say and it's like how in any way is this not performative uh three cis straight men (laughs) writing this statement about uh the queer community and like support it's one thing to support but it's another thing to to appropriately and properly um use the right language and to be respectful like you said uh like you've talked about and i think that Something that's really interesting for adoptees is that in my experience over this past year in the community, you know, we're always looking for a safe space. And it's like we've not really had places where we can share where we're worried about someone attacking us for what we are sharing. And unfortunately, as with every community, sometimes we can not it cannot be so safe. Um, so I'm wondering in your opinion, you know, what do you think needs to happen in the adoptee space to make it safer for queer adoptees to be able to have the type of conversation that we're having now? Yeah. Um, we could, again, (laughs) so many possibilities here. Um, I don't know. Like, I think for me personally, and I know Patrick, you and I have like thrown some messages back and forth about this is like, it's almost like a, like a a normalization of, of our existence, right? Like it's cool that you're interviewing me during pride month, but like, can we make it a consistent thing where like, it doesn't have to be, you know, assign a number, but like, you know, a handful of your guests every <laughs> No, fill that quota. quota. Fill that quota. 30% fill of your guests quota. have to be queer identified no. or else the John Chi show is canceled and I'm just going to rip y'all to shreds on the internet. I mean, I will also rip us to shreds if, it, if we don't hit 30%. So, that's true. Adoptees, We're always trying to 
find ways to cancel the show. So this might be the way. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all personally are like trying to cancel your show and find ways to get canceled. I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And just like, I think, you know, like any marginalized person, we all just want to be seen, heard and loved. Right. And so like, it's part of, you know, on, y'all for like to be queer ally or allies of the LD, LGBTQIA plus community is like, do you educate yourself beforehand and like do the research? You know, there's tons of like fun content on TikTok. I know it's the second time I've, <laughs> I've referenced TikTok today and I swear. It's a very niche platform yeah. that probably nobody has heard of. So you got to really afford <laughs> it because we want to see it take off. Exactly. Yeah. It knows what I like. So. I mean, all it does is show me cooking videos. So <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's like so hard to find resources or just like content about adoption stuff in general and then you layer on whatever other identity whether it's like you are a person with a disability or you are queer or like whatever it is like how do we have like find the people and the content and the information and like lift that up to like not make it so difficult to find you know yeah well we appreciate that you reached out because that right there is one of the ways that we do want to, to help is is to allow anyone to come on the space. It's not like you said, we're not trying to look up to fill a quota. We're not specifically picking people out of a of a list. We we want people to come to us and want to to tell their stories and we want to hear them and we hope that our listeners want to hear them as well, too. Um, yeah. So I think what's that. hard about it for us is like it is Pride Month. And so like we being three straight cisgender dudes, like it's hard to be like, hey, um, are you gay? Do you want to come on the show and talk about your gay identity? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, unless it's Pride Month, in which case you do, we do kind of have like a more natural in because like we want to be allies and we want to help amplify those voices and center those voices. And like, we don't know who we don't know. And we don't even know, like, I don't hang out in a lot of queer spaces in my very small white town in the middle of America, you know? And so I'm just like, how do you, you know, even connect with those people and and find those things? And so um, I think the difficult part is like finding that balance really between um, ignorance and the desire for true allyship. Like it wasn't until we realized, or I guess I realized, I was like, oh, allyship is important (laughs) as as an Asian American. And then I was like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of other identities that could also use some allies that like I get to play the role of the ally for Mm -hmm. them, you know? And so I was like, oh yeah, okay. So I think that that's um, one of the hard things. And, you know, it's just, it's, it takes people like you who are willing to come on to platforms and share their stories so that others who don't want to share their stories, maybe they aren't as loud or maybe they have just, you know, more things to do can be like, this is, this is mm-hmm. me too. You know, I can, I can just point to this and, and do that. So thanks for, for doing the hard work, the brave work of being on here, telling your story, and also for amplifying and centering other voices in your book, which I think is a really fantastic undertaking. Um, And we're really grateful for you adding to our stories. I think I'll just add to like, I think because Patrick and I have kind of built up like a kind of back and forth on Instagram, like Mm -hmm. I know he's a stand-up dude. And that's why I was like, Hey, you know, they put out like a pride post, like, cool, good for them. But like, what do they have to back that up with? And that's why I was kind of like, oh, like, I can chat with these guys because I know that I know they're trying. And like, I want like, I've been meaning to talk about this for a while. I just like, didn't know 
Powatu, and unfortunately, there is not a queer-centered Asian-identifying podcast. So, just going to have these conversations with uh, three straight guys. <laughs> you know, you talked about having not shared your story really at first, and then coming on the show as part of that, placed as part of that, um, and f- just, just like I think that's part of all of our journeys is navigating ways that where we end up finding our voice. Not necessarily that we not ever had one. It's like. How do we find ways to, to let that out? What advice or what would you say to um, other adoptees, specifically queer adoptees who are, you know, tentative about sharing because it is scary and it, it can be really lonely and intimidating to, to step out of your comfort zone of even if it's not comfortable being silent, you know, in that some that familiar zone of just withholding and repressing what would you what kind of advice would you give just as you have been on this journey yourself uh especially over the last two years what what would you say to people who might be listening now who are wanting to but maybe on the fence about sharing yeah i mean i think we all know or we all found out in the last year that like talking and being vulnerable and authentic is is helpful and very important. I don't know. I think as an adoptee, you you kind of come out every single day or every single lift ride you take or every single person that you meet, they're like, wow, like you don't have an accent or whatever it is. Right. And it's the same thing. Like when you're queer too, you, you come out every single day, like when you meet a new colleague or whatever. Um, so it's just like, you know, giving yourself that grace and love and kindness to like set those boundaries up for yourself, just knowing that you don't have to disclose every little single thing about yourself when you meet someone new. And, you know, if you feel like you're in a safe and comfortable environment with someone, like, go ahead. And if hopefully they respect that about you. And if they don't, well, you probably don't want to be talking to them in the first place, you know. But I think the biggest thing that w- we can do as adoptees whether we are queer or not is just be kind to ourselves and like be patient with ourselves because we have a lot of unlearning to do and that unfortunately is probably going to take the rest of our lives right agreed until unless you guys have it all figured out and the podcast is canceled next week that's how you cancel your podcast is if we just figure (laughs) everything out yeah i would say i'm like 98 percent there I would say I'm eight to nine percent there, so I'm way behind. <laughs> no, Patrick, you're like a hundred and twelve percent there. No, no, yeah, a lot of work yeah. to do. Like she said, a lot of unlearning mm-hmm. to do. And like she listeners. said, I don't know. I feel it like takes an entire as the co-dictator of the podcast. <laughs> co-dictator. Oh, perfect. Done. See, you're that's the thing. Now. We're really three co-dictators. No, I'm declaring myself it's as like, the co-dictator now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That- <laughs> <laughs> that's cute no, oh, don't gosh, be gross boys. that's hilarious this one. all right anyways diana thank you so much for coming on the show uh and for <laughs> telling on. the story and helping us learn and being gracious with us um where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and say hey you are awesome i'd like to chat with you more uh on the internet or is there anything that you want to plug <laughs> obviously of course your book where can people buy that just as your time to blast all of the things that you want to blast uh i am a not great millennial instagram is really the only uh, social media that i use so my handle (laughs) 
Maybe. Yeah. All right. Because if I were TikTok, I'd be more Gen Z, right? Again, third TikTok reference of the podcast. <laughs> Got it in. <laughs> I'm sorry. What is TikTok? It's Can like somebody tell me? Line? Oh, Quibi? Do you guys remember Quibi? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or Vine? Quick bite. <laughs> Fine. Oh, yeah. They tried. <laughs> I didn't have the attention span. Wasn't that the whole point of it for people that don't have attention span? A deep dad joke. Exactly. Yeah, that's he's the dad joke. That's why that was my dad oh. joke. Sorry. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, my Instagram, uh, my handle is dalbrecht3. Um, there's like links to my website and like photography on there. Um, actually, I'm. I am currently all out of placed copies. Congrats. I might do another run because thanks. Um, we I printed like I did like three batches just because I was like too scared to like be left uh, over with product. But um, I printed like almost 500 copies and I sold out of all of them, which is pretty dope. Awesome. Um, so maybe when I keep talking with people, they're like, "Oh, I want to buy a place." I'm like, so maybe I will do another run in the future, but you can still see like there's a link on my Instagram to like the my art direction portfolio, and there's like a whole you know page on my website of photos and pictures of the book and stuff like that, so people can see that there. All right, so if you want a copy of her book, clamor for it on the internet. Yes, uh, or just blow up her DMs. Yeah, <laughs> D. Albrecht three. Diana, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was. A wonderful time at least from my perspective i don't know if you i mean you seem to laugh uh but if you were lying to us the whole time that's fine uh that's with the that being said fake laugh yeah. I've ever seen. <laughs> you're so good at fake laughs. that's amazing uh so yeah thank you it's one of my strong suits <laughs> my hidden talents is performance okay um <laughs> well thank you very much for hanging out with we are we <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to jump in with a food or drink Cool. and right. I may or may not be there. We'll find out. Okay. <laughs> bye. Roll it. Welcome back to the John Chi show. It's your boy KJ with Patrick and Nathan and Diana. We just got done with her interview and we're jumping into a food and I have been deemed unworthy to try said food. Uh, so, Nathan, why don't you tell us what we're eating today? We are eating a honey dip snack. I am saying that because that's the only English on the front that I can read. <laughs> and, oh, sorry, original flavor. Yeah, mine says original on yeah. it, too. Nice. Made by Samyang. Samyang. I have not heard of that company. Yeah, I haven't either. Okay, it is it halal approved. listeners at home. Just, you know, for... Halal? Halal, yeah. It's approved. Halal. 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 Yeah. I don't know. I just know it looks like little hollow footballs with, uh, what's that? Like toasted sesame like seeds in it? Sesame yeah, seeds. toasted black sesame seed in it. So, I'll say that's right all off I the know. bat, this character on here, he looks like he's wearing shoulder pads for football. Right. Um, and like he's carrying a football, but he's wearing a backwards baseball cap. <laughs> And he has his hand balled up in a fist like he's getting ready to punch them. So, so it's either American case. football or Pokemon. Yeah. It's We're a, just combining everything into okay. one sport. Who needs head yeah. protection these days? Concussions, whatever, right? Exactly, exactly. You can't yeah. see the faces of the people being injured severely. Uh, with the helmets on, so you gotta take them off. He's gonna, yeah, he's gonna knock the guy out first before he has an opportunity to knock his head into something. Mm-hmm. So that and makes then, sense. Yep. 
The best don't defense touch, don't touch my honey dip snack. <laughs> nice. Well, it's called Jungu for uh, all the people who are wanting to look it up. That is Sungjiga Ah Yung Gyu or J J A N G G U. Jungu. I have no. Oh, Google Translate said it means crayon. <laughs> so, you know, have fun. It also continues the tradition of being like a substantially packed item, but only having one yeah. per serving and only being 160 calories per serving. Wait, that whole thing is a, a no, fourth of a no, serving? No, there's four servings in one container. <laughs> oh. So, I was like, you're supposed to eat four that's, bags That's a lot. Yeah, that's... 30 so grams is a 640 calories in one bag. So That's not very much. Nice. Yeah, that's not too bad. But two grams Guys, is 13. Looking at the ingredients, yeah, not to those, spoil the ingredients at all, but uh, there is a natural smoke flavor. Uh, a cinnamon powder, and also a green tea flavor oil. So if anyone can All taste, in this. If you can taste those, then you guys have a very good taster. Okay, so right off so right off the bat for the actual food, on the package it looks like it's filled with honey. False. It is very hollow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it well, looked hollow you know to me. It didn't look hollow. It kind of smells like a churro. It does kind of smell like it a does churro. Smell like a churro. Ooh, uh, I like that. Interesting. I like the smell. I'm really intrigued yeah. by this. I do too. The black sesame seeds on the picture were definitely a dramatization because the sesame seeds are not quite as apparent. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, it looks like it has a single I'm a fan. This is good. Hmm. I would say okay. that if these uh, the sesame seeds were pieces of chocolate, I would instantly like it more. It definitely is, is it a sweet, sweet kind of. crunchy snack. Yeah, it's, it's like a cinnamon it's, toast crunch. The second, like, the third ingredient is white sugar. So, yeah, it's like a wannabe cinnamon toast crunch. It almost just tastes like yeah. Chex, like the worst type of Chex cereal. Yes, trying to be something it's not. You know, <laughs> it's the worst type of Chex cereal wanting to be cinnamon Chex. toast crunch. Yes, yeah. we all have dreams. Yep. You know. Okay, I gotta ask, and this might be displaying my ignorance. What is Chex cereal? Have I had that before? Should I know C-H-E-X. what that is? Aren't you like a good a Midwestern boy? Isn't it like a blue box? Is that what yes. It looks like? Yeah. I mean, okay. The original He's flavor, I think, is a blue boy. box. I don't know yes. if we can qualify him. <laughs> I just feel like it's very Midwestern to have like uh, a wheat or rice cereal that's plain and uh, yeah, yeah. Flavorless. Like you make puppy chow with it mm-hmm. okay. or like Chex oh, mix. Duh. You okay. know, that makes sense. Chex mix. I know what Chex mix is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, you know what Chex mix is, and yet you ask what oh, Chex is. Oh yeah, was. these classic staples of American food. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. forgot about the mix. I think that. Well, I like Life cereal. That's my favorite cereal. Plain Life. <laughs> so we talk, like we could not get more Midwestern. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, that's pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> the most boring, no sugar additive, nothing else. It's the most boring, most boring. No zhuzhing. Just amazing. Uh, for the listeners at home, they opened it like Americans. I didn't hear any note about whether there was a proper open. There's not. I don't see one, at least. But it seemed like it opened pretty easily, which I think is, is unique. Like, I feel like most Korean snacks have the, like, open in the corner, like, you rip it off, whatever. This opened just like a... Or know, they have that the strip, bag, like that American seal of, strip uh, that you pull off. I feel like we've had a lot of those. <laughs> That are hidden on the package. Oh really? Yeah. Oh oh yeah. Remember yeah, yeah, when the, we complained the, um, that we yeah. we okay, we you. didn't like the uh, Korean bugles that we had or whatever that was? It's because it was mm-hmm. they they were uh, big mm-hmm. puffy triangles, 
and you couldn't put your fingers on them. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was you. Yeah, okay. This is a great, great visual know, bit sorry. for an audio. I actually I'd be put interested. Them... <laughs> for, the, for the listeners, I put them on my fingers. So. Hmm. Easy access. Yeah, but he gets a real cute grin whenever he <laughs> shows up. And then I drop off uh, his fingers. That's a instead good of making go. like a pasta necklace, we could make Ooh, yeah. um, a necklace out of these. You know. I would. I would put these in some. Gungu. I think that would be an interesting. Yeah. Second. I would eat this as cereal yeah, for definitely sure. Definitely would be good as a cereal. Can you taste a smoke flavor or a green no. tea? No smoke. Anything. <clears throat> That's surprising because, like, when you were listing those ingredients, I was like, okay, this should be like a savory, salty kind of thing. And you're like, oh, it tastes like a churro. I'm like, well, that doesn't. Yeah. I mean, especially because the cinnamon is like the almost the last ingredient on here. Um, but it's it's definitely apparent that it has cinnamon in it. So. Okay. And I totally read that wrong. It says a rising, a raising agent. I totally thought that it was like raising. I don't know why it's ready. Yeah, like a baking soda or something. Yeah, I know. But it's these are pretty good. I so some young honey dip. I think I jungu. Now don't don't hate me for anyone listening on this one, but I actually think I like these better than honey potato chips. The honey butter chips. Honey butter chips. Oh, KJ is interesting. I think now. I. I literally, it doesn't even matter how good they are. I think that's a dirty lie, and I can't. Why do you think that? I think these are better. The honey butter chips are just, for me, they're just a little too too different or something about them that I just don't like. Um, This is just more familiar to me. I think it's the cinnamon in it. It just, I could eat these a lot more often. So, yeah. That is bonkers. Okay. Um, I just did a Google search to see if I could try to find Jungu just by searching it with the Hangul, and I came up with this. A uh, character who is a Japanese manga character named Crayon Shinchan. Wait, what? Oh, oh his name yeah, is Crayon? that little guy. Is that supposed to be yeah, him? I guess so. It doesn't I look don't like know him. If it's like a spinoff of this Korean or sorry, eyebrows Japanese going manga on. character, but yeah. So I think that's just I mean, manga in general. <laughs> Why AKA is Crayon? Is my so, next question. My next and only question. I don't know. Because now I now I have our first baby name. So, shout out to my, 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 my wife when uh, we have our first child, whenever that is. Crayon. You're going to name him Crayon. In, pre- in oh, parentheses next Wang. to the actual name. Wang Jungu. Wait, hold your, hold, someone hold her bag up. Am I missing Korean? It's just not on the, what? This bag is straight up lying to me. <laughs> This one has Wong oh, in front of it. This is all just a, compar- a conspiracy theory to mess with KJ. What the junk? So I feel lied well, to. Well, I wonder if like a, a large batch went out or like one shipment went out with the wrong labeling. On it, and we all just got it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's there's some that are Jungu mm-hmm. and some that are Wong. it's not the original flavor? What's the difference? Is there an I, additive I mean, it of says flavoring original. or something or something missing from it maybe? This says original, so... Yeah, I don't know. Did you see I, anything that says other original, other flavors? Because if this is original, honey dipped, what would be like a, a different flavor? Like cheese or... Um, cheese. Spicy? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I would not want this to taste like cheese. No, because this <laughs> one also says original. 
but the dude looks like he got he lost his <laughs> <laughs> That is the sequel to this. That, that's the that's, he, actually, <laughs> he actually got that concussion. Yeah. The guy knocked him out before he, yeah. he ran into somebody. <laughs> or he was stealing these 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 delicious chips and they caught up with him. <laughs> so honey fingers looks to be the English mm. name. Well there you go, Nathan. Not for your honey fingers. Instead of butter fingers, honey fingers. Ooh, yeah. I'm still team uh, honey butter mm. chips. I just I just love a potato chip. That's you know? what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I'm I, think mo- I think most need- people are. I think I might be a um, minimal. You're an anomaly? Yeah, I am. You're so unique, Nathan. I'm going to go back and listen I to I go that against episode. the grain. I don't like see what, what you said about likes. honey butter chips, then put it in this episode. Uh, we said they were perfect. They were practically man. That was also about three in the morning. Because um, didn't we do that on Minju's episode? Or no, that was the Kosami cracker. Yeah. Never mind. Oh, that one is that oh, one's gosh. a fire. Also, Kosami crackers are amazing. That was good. Yeah. This one All I right. definitely like. And it's good with coffee. Get into ratings. Everything tastes good with coffee. Or salt. Nathan. All right, ratings. Nathan, tell us what you think. What would like you I rate said, this on? Four out I of like five these. honeys. I like these uh, better than the others, so I'm going to say five out of five. I, they fit on my finger. They taste good. They're crunchy. I'm going to have it with milk right after this, and it's going to be delicious. <laughs> they fit on my You're finger. You're going straight for the milk after this. I'm going straight for the milk after this. All right. Heck, I'm, I'm very tempted to throw them in my coffee right now. <laughs> so you're giving it five out of five crayons. Yeah. All right. Diana, what about you? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm the wrong person to ask because uh, inherently I'm not like a big snack person. So I'm going to give these three and a half stars because I do like the honey butter and my dokboki snacky is better than this. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's still pretty good though. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's edible, you know? I'll... <laughs> I can eat it. I would not pass up if somebody was offering that. That's the new quote on the, on the packaging. It's edible. <laughs> Diana Albrecht. I like it. I'm going to give it a four out of five because it is edible. Um, and I just really like the story the package is telling me. And I do think this would be make for a really good cereal. So I think once I do that, it'll solidify the four. KJ, what do you think? Nice. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Uh, you know what? I think it's really fun to play with. It's got a solid crunch. I'm confused by the flavor and then the ingredients listed. So that's kind of like, that doesn't feel like very transparent to me. Obviously, I know this is a processed snack, but uh, yeah. So, and then you can check back on our Instagram uh, two days after this episode comes back, comes out, and then you can actually see my <laughs> real rating. But four, four out of five. I was going to say, if you never told anyone that you didn't eat I'm those assuming. or try these, they never would have known because that was yeah. a great, great rating. I mean, except for the fact that like this whole segment open we didn't say that so in hindsight if we did not say that oh yeah well just just cut it out we're all about transparency and authenticity here on the john show right so we would not lie to your listeners right Mm -hmm. that's true that's why we never cut anything (laughs) oh god (laughs) (laughs) they're very long episodes (laughs) they're fine they're a fine length Mm. all righty Yep. All right. Um, well, that is it for our food segment. Diana, one more time for the listeners at home, where can people find you on the internet? Find me on the gram at uh, dalbrecht3. Nice. Um, and if people want to get a copy of your book placed, what is the best way 
to clamor for that to happen because it's not current. Like it's out of. Yeah, it is. is. Um, Probably send me a DM or you can look up my name on the internet and my portfolio, my website will come up and you can shoot me an email through that. The more people I get to like annoy me with the fact that they want the book, (laughs) the more likely I will be able to do another print run. Okay. So what if I annoy (laughs) you every day until I get a copy of, you know, it could work for you. I I might need like at least one other person to annoy me every single day. (laughs) Okay. Someone else join me in annoying (laughs) (laughs) We have declared (laughs) it will cost approximately $200. Yeah. No, I, I, for context, I need to do at least like a hundred or 150 would be my ideal to make it like nope. cost effective. I'm getting copy so, number one. Tech- 100 people. 100 people. Come at me. 100 people. DM her. Technically right now. be copy 501. <laughs> Get out of here with your math. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, now that Patrick is gone, you can find him on the internet at Patrick in the world or uh, Armstrong on Clubhouse or patrick in the world dot me on his blog slash website is that right am i forgetting anything that's right i said that from far away it's good yeah from from very far away his and then i got really really close he has an incredibly powerful stage whisper people know me and they know that i'm loud so my whisper obviously would be loud nice oh wait i didn't even plug the john chi show whatever we'll do that after this i'm the most Uh, you can find me at kj rocky wherever i want to be found (laughs) on the internet nathan you can find the John Chi show at John Chi at justlikemedia.com. No, John Chi show. I said John Chi show. No, you just said John Chi. Oh, that was <laughs> that's where you, yeah. that's where you can find, send us. All right, send us an email at John Chi show at justlikemedia.com. Uh, find us on the internet at John Chi show on all the places that the John Chi show wants to be found. Um, you can go to John Chi show.com slash support to figure out how to support the show. You can find Nathan at and Nowak or Nowak photo. And that is it. Right? That is it. Yes. All right, we did it. Thank you, KJ. We finished another episode. We are locking up another Why are we still doing this? We are running out of lives. Send us some quarters so that we can continue doing the show. We are. That's what you meant (laughs) when you said that last time. Yeah. I didn't didn't get the video game reference of that. Dude, I understand. Come on. All right. Well, catch us on the next video game. I caught up. I'm here. Great. Okay. Well, now that you caught up, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.